It's nice to see you this morning. We're on part four of our series on the miracle of mercy. What we've been doing as we're focusing on mercy, we have a message every Sunday morning, and then on Wednesday nights, we're watching a video together and we're discussing it. And then we have books. The books have devotionals in them as well. So you can have a daily devotional focus on mercy, a chance to discuss it in a small group on Wednesday nights, and then you hear the message on Sunday mornings. So large group, small group, and personal, by doing it those three ways, it helps to get the message deeper ingrained in you. And that's the whole point, is we want it to become a part of your life. We want to be known as a church that's merciful. Today we're talking about how mercy forgives. To have mercy, you're a forgiving person. God's mercy brings forgiveness. There's two sides of forgiveness. I need forgiveness and I need to give out forgiveness. And we see this in Matthew 6, 12. This is part of the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. I'm asking God to forgive me so that I can forgive you. They go together. And if you want to be a forgiving person, if you want to have mercy... You first have to recognize that you're forgiven. And that will give you the strength to turn around and forgive other people. Because it can be hard to forgive people. I want to remind you what mercy is. Mercy is undeserved forgiveness and unearned kindness. We want to give people forgiveness whether they deserve it or not. And we want to be kind to them without them having to earn it in order for us to be kind to them. So in your notes... First, let's look at how God forgives us. Mercy means God forgives me. That's the greatest news. I need forgiveness. God's willing to give me and you a fresh start to clean the slate, to remove your debt, whatever you owe. He wants to set you free. And it's a gift. How about that? It's not something I had to earn. He gives it to me. We can know that. But I think sometimes we don't feel forgiven. It's so easy to feel the guilt, the regret, the shame over things I've done, and hear in my head that God forgives me, but never feel it in my heart. God wants to get it from the head to the heart. He wants you to actually feel forgiven other than just knowing the facts. Okay, God forgives me. That's good. He wants to be a part of your life. And here's why. If you feel guilty, your tendency is to move away from God rather than toward Him. Even if you know the truth, if you feel guilty, you tend to move away from God. Because you don't want to be around someone that you feel like is condemning you somehow. If you feel forgiven, it draws you to God. Because you want to be around people that you feel like accept you even with your flaws. You want to be around people that show you grace. You don't want to run away, but you will run away from God if you feel like you're guilty, if you feel like he's condemning you. So, in your notes, God wants to forgive you. That's a fact about God. He wants to forgive you. It's something he's chosen to do because it's a part of his character. It's who he is. It's something that naturally flows out of who he is As a person in Nehemiah 9, it says, You are a God of forgiveness, always ready to pardon, always. 
gracious and merciful, slow to become angry, and full of love and mercy. He's just filled with love. He's filled with mercy. He's always ready to forgive, to be gracious. It's just who he is. When you recognize who God is, you recognize, I'm forgiven. It's exactly who he is. That's the person that we're dealing with in our relationship with God. Look at Micah 7, 18. You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. Did you know that God delights to show you mercy? He's delighted by it. When I think of the word delight, I think of uh, as a kid, maybe you were delighted to go to Disneyland. It was something that would just delight you. Today as an adult, I'm delighted to have certain kinds of vacations. They just delight me. They make me really happy. Uh, the two types. One is to go to a place like Hawaii, where there's a beach and it's nice, a resort. There's things that are really nice and comfortable and the weather's great and the ocean's beautiful and maybe staying in a really nice hotel. And to me, that's like really, really, I delight to enjoy a vacation like that. The other kind I like are the complete opposite. I love camping trips where you're kind of roughing it a bit and, you know, you're camping outdoors, but not anywhere. I don't just like to camp in the backyard. It does, it's not meaningful. I don't have a backyard anyway, but if I did, it's not meaningful. But I like to go to places like the Grand Canyon or Yosemite, where it matters. But it's rustic. It's, you know, the fresh air, cold at night. And I love camping outside. I delight in that. Well, it's interesting because God says he delights in showing mercy. He's delighted to see you feel forgiven. It delights him to say, it's done. It's over. I forgive you. Go on. It makes him happy. He wants to forgive you. Another thing about God is God freely forgives me. It's a gift. It's a free gift. It's not something that I've earned. It's not like I've been so good that I get this forgiveness. I'm never going to be good enough to get what God's going to give me freely. Look at Romans 3, 23 and 24. All of us have sinned. All of us. That's you and I, everybody. Yet now God declares us not guilty of offending him if we trust in Jesus Christ, who freely takes away our sins. He does it freely. So here it is. I sin, you sin. None of us are good enough. And then he freely forgives us. But when he forgives us freely, it doesn't mean that it was free for him. It was free for me. It cost him a lot. What he did is God came to earth as a man, Jesus Christ, he took my sins and your sins upon himself and died paying off the penalty. On the cross, he died paying off the penalty for our sins. It cost him a lot. It's only free to you and I. But that's the love he has for us. It's a free gift. He still paid off the penalty. All of us have a penalty that we owe. And he paid off the price. God loves you that much. He came and paid off the penalty. Free for you and I. One reason people have a hard time 
with receiving God's forgiveness is it's hard for people to believe that God would love them that much or love people that much. They see what mankind has done. And you can start looking. Mankind has done some pretty evil things. You look around and it's hard to believe that God would love people enough to forgive what, they, what we see happening in the world. It's interesting. When you have children, it becomes much easier to believe that God could forgive them. Because when my son or daughter does something wrong, you know, I want to forgive them. They don't have to earn their forgiveness. I want to forgive them. I love them. They're my kids. The more you have an understanding of God's nature, the easier it is to understand that, of course, he wants to forgive people. But sometimes we don't believe it because we just see evil in the world, and we wouldn't forgive those people because it's not our children. So we don't see it that way. The second reason people have a hard time accepting the truth, it's not about other people. It's about them. It's like, Jimmy, you don't know the things I've done. If you knew what a rotten person I was, you don't think I'd be forgiven. A lot of times the finger's not looking at how everybody else is. How could God forgive them? It's how could God forgive me? I don't deserve it. And I want to say we've all fallen short. Every one of us has fallen short. We're all relying on God's mercy. It's a free gift. It has nothing to do with what you've done. It has everything to do with his character. He's a loving God. He's a forgiving God. It doesn't mean the consequences are going to go away. So, for example, I say, you don't know what type of person I am. I rob banks. You know, and I'm just a greedy person. And God could never forgive me. And then you understand who God's grace is, and he totally forgives you. You turn your life to him, he totally forgives you. It changes your heart. Now you want to live for him, but the consequences of maybe being caught doing that lifestyle don't go away. Don't think that forgiveness means that there's no consequences. You still might have to go to prison for year and year, year after year after year for what you did. And yet you're totally forgiven. Because God forgives you, it doesn't mean the consequences aren't there. You know, you might cheat on your spouse. God totally forgives you. It doesn't mean that your spouse is going to stay with you. They might leave you. It might be too much for them. But you're totally forgiven. Forgiveness and consequences are two different things. God forgives you, but life still has consequences in it. In Colossians 1.14, it says... In him we enjoy our forgiveness, the forgiveness of sin. That's what forgiveness is. It's the forgiveness of sin. Your sins are forgiven. God's not going to hold it against you anymore. It's done. It says in him we enjoy our freedom. Are you enjoying your freedom? In other words, are you walking around feeling guilty about everything you've done in the past? Are you walking around feeling regret over all the stupid mistakes you've made? Are you walking around feeling the shame over the shameful things that you've done? So you're guilty, regretful, feeling shame. 
Or do you understand that you're forgiven and you're walking around feeling peace, love, and God's grace? When you understand that he's forgiven you, you don't walk around feeling guilty all the time. You don't walk around having all these regrets. You feel forgiven. That's a freedom. And when I feel forgiven, I can forgive you. When I feel that love, I can love you. But it's hard to love other people if you don't feel loved. Next, God immediately forgives me. As you read Scripture, it's something that happens immediately. It's not like what you did is bad, so you're going to have to suffer for two or three years, then I'll forgive you. No, God doesn't do that. He's not going to say, I'm just going to make you, you know, just sweat it out in that regret. You're going to regret that for the rest of your life. That's not God. That's Satan. If someone tells you and you start believing, I'm going to regret this for the rest of my life. No. When you get forgiveness, you'll be able to move on and move forward with your life. Not living in regret forever. No, you'll be able to get peace back. He does it immediately. Look at this verse in Isaiah. God is merciful and quick to forgive. He's quick to do it. When you're feeling guilty about something, that should be a warning light that says, turn back to God. Turn back to God. And you turn to him and you run to him because he's there to forgive you. He's there to offer you grace. He's there to help you get back on the right track. There are people that have this attitude, if I walk around feeling guilty all the time, that shows that I'm a repentant person. That shows that I'm sorry for my sins. No, it just shows that you're miserable and nobody wants to hang out with you. You know, Jesus came to forgive you, to get you out of that miserable feeling and to get your life back, to get your life back to where it needs to be. Because you're not going to function well in a family or in society being miserable all the time. You're going to function well in a society and in a family by getting back on track. Recognize your forgiveness, get back on track and start living again. Next, Jesus completely forgives me. There's no part of the sin that's not forgiven. In Colossians 2, 13 and 14, God forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. So he canceled it like it never happened. You have a car that you bought and you're making monthly payments. Well, when you make that last payment, you know what? You never think about the bill ever again. You never think about it anymore because it's been canceled. Paid in full. Once you paid in full, that's one bill that you never worry about again. You might worry about other bills. But I paid off the car, so it's done. I never worry about that again. I ne- it's canceled. It's over. You don't have to worry about it again. If God's canceled it, if God says it's done, it's over, you don't have to worry about it again. It's done. He's taking care of it. In Micah 7, 19, you will have mercy on us again. You will conquer our sins. You will throw away all our sins into the deepest part of the sea. God is saying, I just choose not to remember that anymore. See, sometimes what we do is we characterize ourselves by our sin. 
We think that that's who I am. I'll say something, and if you follow me, you'll understand what I mean. I don't like to say, my name is Jimmy Cheney, I'm a alcoholic. Okay, I understand the whole process of what, how the 12-step works. But I like to say, you know, that I'm recovering. I think when I'm actually living in it is when I'm being an alcoholic. But I think when I'm not living in it, I'm not. I'm not being an alcoholic. You know, now, that might be a t temptation for me for the rest of my life. You know, and what I feel like I need to do with my mind is to say, I'm aware of this temptation. I'm never one, I'm only one step away from messing it up. You know, but I like to see myself as someone that's righteous before God. Always knowing that we're one step away from sin. My problem is not alcohol. We all have different problems. You know, my biggest issue is more in anger. I want to be aware that I'm always one step away from blowing it. And be aware of that so I'm, so I'm not stupid. But I never describe myself as I'm Jimmy and I'm an angry person. I describe myself as, no, I'm not that way. I'm choosing not to be that way. So I'm not trying to criticize AA because they do great things. But some things I hear like that, I see it just a little bit different. I see it a little bit different. Always, I know the intent is 100% right. I'm 100% in agreement with the intent of what they're trying to do. You know, that you're always just one step away is what they're really saying. So I love that and everything. But I want to see myself how God sees me. He sees me as forgiven. Sometimes we characterize ourselves by the sin we're in. I don't want to be characterized as a thief. You know what I mean? I don't want to be characterized as whatever, you know, your sin is that you struggle with. I want to be characterized as a son of the Father. I want that to be my, how I'm characterized by people, by God. If God's let it go, he's not characterizing me by what I struggle with. He's seeing me where I can be, not where I've been. Doesn't change the fact that if that's my struggle, I have to always be aware of it. You're always one step away. The, one, the longer that you think that God's pun punishing you, the farther you'll keep moving away from God. He's trying to draw you close. He's saying, I'm here to forgive you. I'm not here to call you names. I'm here to forgive you. He could exercise justice, but he doesn't. He chooses not to. Look at James 2.13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love that. I'm standing before God. Judgment is, Jimmy, here's the things that you've done wrong. You deserve to be punished in these ways. And mercy is, but this is what I've done to forgive you. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That means mercy wins. That's what I want. I stand before God at judgment, and he says, these are the things you did, and it's 100% true. And then he says, but this is what I did to forgive you, and it's 100% true. Mercy wins. Aren't you glad when you stand before God, it's not going to be, here's what I've done to forgive you, but here's the things that you've done, and judgment wins over my mercy. <laughs> Aren't you glad it's not that way? God could do it any way he wants to. He's chosen to put his mercy over judgment. So, number one, God forgives me. If I can reach to the point where I feel forgiven, you can get to number two. 
which is mercy means that I forgive others. If I can get to the point where I feel forgiven, I can get to number two. But if you don't feel forgiven, I don't think you're going to be able to forgive others. It's going to be too hard. God helps you to forgive others. It's a struggle. And I need God's help. God, I need your help. I don't know how I'm ever going to forgive him. I don't know how I'm ever going to forgive her. I can do it. When I understand how much you forgive me, I can do it. That gives me the strength to pull it off. But without, I can't. I just don't, I don't think I can get there. I think one of the greatest reasons why people struggle with forgiveness is they misunderstand what it means. They think, I can't forgive them because they have these ideas of what that would mean. I have a true and false quiz. You can hear these and maybe on your own notes write true or false. The first one says, true or false, a person should not be forgiven until he asks for it or until she asks for it. True or false, they have to ask for it to be forgiven. The second one, true or false, you haven't really forgiven until you've forgotten it. So if I still remember it, that means I haven't forgiven it. True or false? How about this one? Forgiven includes minimizing the offense and the pain. If I forgive them, I have to act like the pain's not there anymore. True or false? How about this one? True or false? Forgiveness means the relationship is going to be restored and we're going to be united as friends again. If I really forgive them, if I really forgive them, that means we're friends again. True or false? How about this one? When I see someone hurt somebody, it's my duty to forgive that person for what they did to that other person. True or false? True or false? Do you know all those are false? All those are false. First of all, I just think of that fifth one, that last one I said. If this guy hurts that person, I can't forgive them. They've got to get forgiveness from that person, the person they hurt. This is why pastors and priests have no business saying, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. Jesus can do that. But how do you get forgiveness from God? God will forgive you. You go to God. And how else do you get forgiveness? You go to the person you hurt. How can I forgive you? Pastor, I need you to forgive me. I need forgiveness because I hurt that person. I said, well, go and ask them for, to forgive you. You can't ask me. I can't forgive you. Go to God, but go to them too. Forgiveness comes from the offended parties. So you can't go to a priest or a pastor to get forgiveness for something you did to somebody else. You go to God and you go to that person and ask them to forgive you. In your notes, forgiveness is not conditional. Forgiveness has nothing to do with, well, if they do this, this, and this, I'll forgive them. Or I'm not going to forgive them until they ask me. It's not conditional. Look at Ephesians 4, 32. Forgive one another as quickly and thoroughly as God and Christ forgave you. Wow. You're talking to us. I'm supposed to forgive you as quickly as God forgives me, as thoroughly as God forgives me. So completely. You have to completely forgive them. They don't have to earn that forgiveness. It's unconditional. There's no sin that we don't forgive. Corrie ten Boom, she was from a Christian family, and they were in Holland. And 
during the Nazi occupation of Holland, they were taking Jewish families into their home. They had that system down where you'd find the family, you'd get them into your home, and then at certain times you sneak them out to other places. It was an avenue to get them out of the country, and they were part of that. They eventually got caught, so they were thrown in a concentration camp. It was horrible, of course, and her sister died in that camp. But after the war, she remained faithful to God during all this time, and after the war, uh, she was part of the reconciliation process between Holland and Germany and things like this. And as a Christian, she would go and speak in churches throughout Germany about forgiveness and about restitution and reconciliation during that time, trying to get things and people back on the right track. But here's what she wrote. I was in a church in Munich, and I saw him, a balding, heavyset man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken. It was 1947, and I'd come from Holland to defeat Germany with the message that God forgives. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, and the next, meaning in her mind, I saw a blue uniform and a visor cap with a skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room at the concentration camp called Ravensbrück, with its harsh overhead lights and pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. The man who was making his way forward had been a guard, one of the most cruel guards. Now he was in front of me, his hand thrust out. A fine message, he said. How good it is to know, as you say, that our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than to take his hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands of women? But I remembered him. The leather crop swung from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravenbrook, he said, as you talked. I was a guard there. No, he had not remembered me. But since that time, he said, I've become a Christian. And I know that God's forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I like to hear it from your lips. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? I stood there. I, whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. My sister Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds, but he stood there with his hand out. But it seemed like to me hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I'd ever done. For I had to do it. I knew I had to. I knew it not only because of the command of God, but also as a daily experience. Because since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. And here's the most important part. Those who were able to forgive their enemies were also able to return to the outside world, rebuild their lives, no matter what their physical scars were. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. They never got better. It was as simple and horrible as that. 
Still, I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of my heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. Would you supply the feeling? So mechanically, I thrust my hand into his hand. And an incredible thing took place. This healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I have never known God's love so intensely as I did then. What does a story like this do for us? Well, one, it could bring guilt. It could just bring guilt, like, man, I can never forgive. Not like that. Man, I feel guilty. I guess I'm a second-rate Christian. You have the real Christians and the rest of us. You know, and that's what it could do. But if you understand what she's saying, there's something very important in there that explains everything. She's just like you and I. She's just like, like you and I. Why do you forgive? Because it doesn't get them off the hook. It gets you off the hook. She has a house that she takes people that have been brutalized by the Nazis. And it's a place of healing. That's what she was doing. And she was finding, as she helped people to let go of their bitterness, as they let go of their resentment, as they let go of their anger, they were able to get their life back. They were able to put that behind them and go on and live. They didn't forget what happened. They didn't forget what happened. They know what happened. But until they were able to forgive and let that stuff go, it's like, shame on you for what you did to me. Shame on me if I keep it. Why would you keep that? Why would you let them win? Why would you let them win? Shame on you for what you did for me. Shame on me if I keep it. I'm going to feel horrible and miserable and be ruined forever. Maybe what I should do is win. I'm going to win this battle against you. What you went from, meant for my harm, I'm going to use it for good. I'm going to forgive it. I'm going to let go of the resentment, the bitterness, and anger, and I'm going to get my life back. I'm going to get my life back. That's a choice. That's a choice. That's why she did it. It doesn't get them off the hook. That's between them and God. It gets you off the hook. It frees you to get your life back. So what they did to you doesn't ruin you forever. It's bad enough what they did to me. It's worse what I do to myself sometimes. I keep it. Why would you keep it? I don't want that. I want my life back. That's what she does. That's why you do it. That's why we under, need to understand what forgiveness is. In your notes, forgiveness is not forgetting. We have a phrase, you know, forgive and forget. But God can do that. God can let it go. And, you know, but forgiveness isn't forgetting that it ever happened. In fact, that could be a horrible thing. What happens to society? That, let's just say, okay, slavery was something in the past, but we're going to forget that it ever happened. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad thing. It's a bad thing to forget that it ever happened. Why? Because that's how things repeat. Things repeat in a direction when you forget that it happened. The Holocaust. Let's for, just forget that it ever happened. 
That's how, it happen, that, that's how things like that have a chance to happen again. Because if you just sweep it under the carpet like it never happened, it opens up a door for things to go in that direction again. When you clearly see that these things happened, you clearly make sure that it doesn't happen again. You say, remember what happened in the past? That's not going to happen again. And you're able to do that. So you have to remember things that have happened. You know, uh, you know, somebody abuses you. They say that you're raped. Are you supposed to forget that that ever happened? No. You know what? You can forgive them and let it go to get your life back and still prosecute them in court. And you want them to go to prison. You say, well, wait a minute. You want them to go to prison? Yeah. You want them to go to prison. That doesn't sound very forgiving. Well, who wrote most of these passages that we're talking about forgiveness? Paul, right? Paul also wrote this. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. Now, remember, Paul's the guy that wrote almost all those verses that we were reading about forgiveness. So what do you think he did with Alexander? He forgave him. Paul is known for following through with what he says. He's not a hypocrite. So does it sound like he forgave him? The Lord will repay him for what he has done. Okay, so he's saying, this guy harmed me, and he's saying, God, get him. <laughs> do you mean that I can say, I can say, God, I'm forgiving him, I'm letting it go, and I'm going forward, but God, I want you to still get him. Yes. Yes. That's why I like Paul. He's, okay, yeah, Paul, you're my man. You know, I can relate to that because I have the ability to let it go and forgive it and say, God, but don't let them get by with this. God, please don't let them get by with this. There's nothing I can do. And if there was something I could do, because if it was illegal and it was in a court system, I would do it. I would confess in court what they've done, and I would want them to go to jail. And at the same exact time, I've told them I'm not hanging on to the bitterness. I can see them, and I don't feel like killing them. You know what I mean? You can totally forgive and still pursue justice. It goes on to say, you too should be on your guard against him. What's that saying? He's saying, don't trust him. Have you ever felt like if you forgive him, that means you trust him? No. You can forgive somebody and never, ever trust them again. You know, so it's two different things. So it's important for us to see. Forgiveness means that I, it doesn't mean that I forget about it. You might want to remember it for good reasons to make sure things like this don't happen again. A child that gets molested, and now that they're older and they're talking about it, and they expose the person. What? Well, didn't you? For, I thought you forgave them. I did. Why did you expose them? So that it won't be forgotten, so that nobody else gets messed up by them. Why do you expose them? Because if I don't trust them. I'm afraid they're going to hurt somebody else. See what I'm saying? That's fantastic that you expose them. That's the greatest thing you could do. And yet you could totally forgive them so you get on with your life, but now you're forbidding them from messing up other people. Also in your notes, forgiveness is not trusting the person again, which I've already t talked a little bit about. He said, be on your guard against them. So you forgive them, but it never means, it doesn't necessarily mean that you trust them. Forgiveness is something I give out freely. 
Trust is something they have to earn. They have to earn it. People have to build trust back. So let's say, and think of it from that side as well. Let's say that you did something wrong and your spouse or your friend totally forgives you. They totally forgive you. They let it go. I forgive you. It doesn't mean that they trust you. And it might take several years of a pattern to show that you've changed before they trust you again. And it's your responsibility to earn the trust. If I'm the one that broke the trust, it's my responsibility to earn the trust, and the relationship will never be healthy based on them forgiving me. Do you know that? It doesn't matter if they forgive me. That doesn't make the relationship healthier. The relationship will never be healthy again until I build the trust back. So two people are together. I totally forgive you. I'm not holding resentment. I'm not holding anger. You know, I'm not bitter with you. Then they say, well, why aren't you my friend anymore? Well, I don't trust you. Sounds like you haven't forgiven me. I'm not resentful. I'm not bitter. I have no hate in my heart toward you. But I'm not your friend. Why aren't you my friend? I don't trust you. Do you see it? The friend, we, the, the relationship will never be restored just because I forgive. It can only be restored if that person builds the trust. If I'm the guilty party, my relationship won't be restored until I build the trust. When you understand that, you understand no matter where, I mean, no wonder we're called by God to forgive everybody because God is telling me not to be a bitter person for the rest of my life. Don't be a resentful person for the rest of my life. Don't be an angry person for the rest of my life. We don't want to forgive because we think that God is saying, be stupid for the rest of your life. That's what we think he's saying. Because we think it means the trust is earned back. No. It means, you know, it doesn't mean that. That's something that they have to, that's on them, whether or not they build that trust. I'm telling you, there are some people that you don't want to be their friends. And it's a Christian thing. That doesn't sound Christian. No, believe me. There are some people you don't want to be their friends, and it's a Christian thing. You do best to separate from them. Did I say not to love them? I didn't say not to love them. What's love? You know, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is gentle. I never said don't love them. I said don't be their friend. Don't you ever tell that to your teenagers? I've teen my teenage boys. I've told them, you can't be his friend anymore. Was I telling them? Don't be a Christian. No, I would never tell my son not to be a Christian. I would tell my kid to be wise. You're not allowed to be his friend anymore. Because I knew what was happening. If you love your kids, you would tell your kids not to be certain people's friends. You'll demand it. And you'll enforce it. Because you love them. That's the only thing that a loving parent would do to a kid. I mean, you can't be a loving parent and not do that. And yet your kids are 100%. You know, you're never teaching them not to love that person. I want my kids to love them all. But you're not allowed to hang out with him anymore. Forgiveness is releasing it to God. When someone has hurt you, revenge doesn't work. Repayment doesn't work. Resentment doesn't work. All those things, all those hurts just make the hurt become hate. And I don't want to be a hating person. I don't want the hurt to be hate. So I want to let it go by giving it to God. God, you've forgiven me. I'm going to forgive them. You know, God, 
I'm going to let it go. God, you love me. I'm going to love them. You forgive me. I'm going to forgive them. In the Greek language, because when you're reading the New Testament, it's originally written in Greek. And that was the language that they used, the written language that they used at that time. And the word forgive, we have one word for forgive, but they have two words. Let me give you the meaning of their two words. One word forgive means to offer someone grace. The other word means to set free or release. And we do both. Forgiveness is both. You're offering them grace and you're setting things free. But who really gets set free is you. Because now you're not angry for the rest of your life. I'm setting them free. In other words, I'm not going to be angry at them anymore. I'm just going to go on. And you might be saying, but God, you get them. <laughs> you know what they did. This is wrong. You get them. But I'm going to go and do what I need to do. You know, there's a great story of this, pretty recent. Bethel AME Church, the church in Charleston, South Carolina. You have to remember this, but it was such a great example of genuine forgiveness. Remember, the young man walks into the church in the middle of the Wednesday night prayer meeting and shoots nine people and kills them in a church. I mean, that's pretty bad. It's, it's bad anyway to kill somebody, but the fact that they'd go into, he'd go into a church and do this. At his arraignment, the church showed up, and you didn't hear one person from the church get up there and, you know, I hope you fry, you know, or something like that. That's not what came out of their mouth. It was uh, just forgiveness after forgiveness after forgiveness. And everybody believes justice needs to be done. But look at the heart of these people, real Christians, because they weren't just acting like Christians. They weren't just churchgoers. This is evidence about what's in their life. Nadine Collar, her mom was one of the people they shot and killed. I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people, but God forgives you, so I forgive you. Wow. Wow. God forgives you, so I forgive you. Here's how the New York Times wrote when they, about this event, the arraignment. It was as if the Bible study had never ended. As one after another, the victim's family members offered lessons on forgiveness, testaments to a faith that is not compromised by violence or grief. The Wall Street Journal just said, it's a miracle. That's how they described it as what happened at the arraignment. Now, it's interesting. South Carolina, just to think of how this affects people. This was the prime time after something like this happens for violence to occur, right? And then this church comes out in the complete opposite of that. Now, at the same exact time, there's been a 10-year battle going on over the Confederate flag, over the Capitol in South Carolina. Because to so many people like me, and I would think most people, that's a symbol of hate. See, they were trying to see it as a symbol of history. We put it there because it's, 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 we're talking about history. But that's not what it means to people. To too many people like me, it's a symbol of hate. I can't see it as just a symbol of history. Some people can and if you see it as a symbol of history, I'm not condemning you, but I'm not, you know, to me, to me, I see it as a symbol of hate. I'm on that side of, of that issue. But here's what I think was so amazing. They would go back and forth in Congress over whether or not we should take this down. And after this happened, and after the arraignment, something happened. It changed the whole tone. 
And they decided after 10 years of fighting back and forth, the arraignment happened, they saw this, and you know what they did? They took the flag down. They took the flag down, which meant all the talking to convince them up here, take the flag down, didn't work for 10 years. Because come on, it would have worked by 10 years, right? Everything that we were doing logically to say, take that flag down, take that, had no effect. How did they get reached? Through the heart. They saw the love of this church. And they said, it's unrelated if you think about it and the flag going down. But they understood, man, if this is a symbol of hate to some people, we've got to take this down. But we didn't reach them by reaching their minds, it's by reaching their heart. That's the power of God. Isn't that how Martin Luther King Jr. had a big impact? The minds of people weren't being changed. He found a way to reach their heart. Gandhi in India, the minds of the British weren't changing. He had to find a way to reach their heart. When you find a way to reach their hearts, the mind will follow. We think we've got to convince them up here. When people feel it here, they'll open up their mind to hear. But if they don't feel it here, their minds are closed, and you're just knocking on a closed door and you won't get anywhere. God wants to reach your heart. And when you're forgiving others, you will reach the hearts of people. And that's mercy. You have mercy. You're not going to reach their hearts by being clever with, by what you say. But I'll tell you what, if you can reach their hearts, their minds will change. Colossians 3.13 says, Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Let's think together. When I really get it from here to here, that's when it translates in my life to other people. Everybody knows, oh, God forgives you, God forgives you, God forgives you. But it's never here. I want to understand it here. I want to get it here so it goes out to you. And the world is different. Isn't it great that God wants to use you to change the world? And one of the major ways he does that is through mercy, the mercy of forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for forgiving us. Help us to recognize your forgiveness so it changes our hearts so that we can translate that into how we treat other people so that we can forgive others. Lord, we thank you for this mercy that it changes lives. It makes the world a better place. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.